Welcome to the third ever edition of Millennials with a Mic. This is your co-host, Brett Prater, Brett5522 on Instagram, accompanied, as always, by my good friend, Ryan Morris. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Barb? I'm doing great. I hope you all had a fantastic President's Day. Hope it was productive, ready to get back on the grind for the four-day week coming up. Uh, How's the grind coming along for you? Um, It's coming okay, unfortunately... Down here at CSUSM, uh, we celebrate MLK and Cesar uh, Chavez Day. So I was in class today, um, and unfortunately, uh, doing slash procrastinating a group project, which is which we present tomorrow morning. In class on President's Day? Oh yeah, that he's, is he's so best American. Oh, <laughs> you can imagine how Donald Trump would react. Just disgusting. <laughs> disgusting really (laughs) well so uh for all of our listeners uh, we want to actually start out this uh third show of ours with a new segment it's called winners and losers of the week and uh basically just get into some people that people or groups that we think won or lost over the course of the week and uh just talk about that a little bit so ryan um let's take us through your winners and losers what do you got so yeah so as soon as you um introduce this new segment to me, uh, Brett, an immediate loser, um, popped up into my mind. And I'm sure to many of those out there listening popped up into yours too. And that's going to be Fergie with her (laughs) absolutely just abomination of us, of a rendering of a a national anthem at the the NBA all-star game last night. That, that was a rough rendition. That was, that was rough. (laughs) And it's funny because, um, I'm, I was actually watching and um, I didn't even watch, I didn't watch it until this morning. And what led me there was this Reddit thread um, of Jack Black singing <laughs> the national anthem at the, at an, at a WNBA basketball game at the LA Sparks game. And uh, he just kills it. You know I mean? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely kills it. It's Jack Black. He could have taken it a little bit more comical route. But he decides to put just enough seriousness into it, and he just knocks it out of the park. You know, between every break, the the crowd's just cheering, and I'm like, "Wow, you know, that's a great that's a great way to start my day." <laughs> and I'm just scrolling through the comments, um, you know, laughing. One of the comments is like, "You'd be hard pressed uh, to find anything more American than a shaggy-haired Jack Black singing the national anthem in a, a WNBA game." But. Um, <laughs> But one the next the next top tiered comment was the Fergie, you know, and <laughs> and I and I didn't I didn't know about it at this point, and so um, I go and I go I, I watch it, and my whole day just went from such a high note. I just woke up <laughs> and I just watched Jack Black belt out this beautiful take on the national anthem, and then it's just dramatically brought down by I don't even know what you want to call that last night. I mean, it was. It, it, yeah, it, it just wasn't for me. I don't know if it was for anybody out there. And it's what? Like, go ahead, Barb. Yeah, it's like she tried to reinvent the entire song. Like the song is already good how it is, you know. Exactly. Kind of a class is what you call a classic. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, she went and tried to uh, remix it basically, and it just didn't pan out. Yeah, and it's kind of like um, I don't know if you ever watched American Idol, but when <laughs> when. Um, the contestants would try and um, sing one of the judges' songs, you know, do do a rendition of the judges' yeah. songs and try and uh-huh. be special or stand out. 
it, I, I feel like it always backfired, you know, and it never really worked um, as they thought it might. I feel like, I feel like in most times the judges were not very keen on their take. And it's because it was, it was done damn good the first time, you know, <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't, don't try uh-huh. and fix it. And I think that's what we had um, last night. And just something that I just thought was astounding is how many um, rehearsals and how many eyes and ears had to listen and watch that oh, before yeah. we did, you know, I mean, so many people had to okay um, that demonstration last night and it's just mind boggling who, how that happened. Uh, what, what drugs those people were on because <laughs> I'll take two, you know, I mean, that was crazy. I I would love to see Simon Cowell's uh, reaction to that. I would love to hear <laughs> what he would have said if that was on American Idol. But yeah. that, that really is a shame because I'm a Fergie fan. I am a Fergie fan. She has a lot of good songs out there, a couple of bangers that I think everyone enjoys. I feel I, like she was, yeah, I mean, there there are some bangers, but a lot of her bangers were associated with the Black Eyed Peas, I would say. Oh, and so yeah. when you when yeah. you just put Fergie in a vacuum, I think nine out of ten times you're gonna get what we saw last night. <laughs> <laughs> was uh glamorous. That's a banger right there. That's, that's true, and I think that's solo, right? Yeah, that's just Fergie. Some London okay. Bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there are yeah. redeemable <laughs> factors, I guess, for those who uh def- how you Fergie define supporters. That. <laughs> yeah. But last night, definitely not one, and uh, it's going to be tough to bounce back from that, I would imagine. And it doesn't help when um, the camera decides to zoom in on Draymond's <laughs> laughing face and broadcast that on the Jumbotron. You can literally hear the crowd laughing during that yeah. moment. And uh, I thought that was just a, a nice a nice point in that video. But to contrast that terribly, terrible performance... Um, of my loser of the week, I think my winner of the week made out pretty um, a lot better than Fergie, definitely. Maybe not um, financially so, but definitely in the PR realm. And um, I actually don't know his legal name. I only know him by his Twitch handle, Azariath, uh, A-Z-E-R-I-A-T-H, for any of those um, listening at home that, that want to go give this man a look. Maybe he'll uh, pay us for the plug. <laughs> Maybe who knows? This could be the next uh, the next big Twitch streamer. But he's yeah. my he's my winner of the week because um, I was actually watching this different guy uh, passing some time, um, you know, actually doing some more procrastinating. And um, what's common in the Twitch community, I'm for those unaware, uh, when someone is uh, you know a larger who has a larger fan base, when they're signing off, uh, e- even for those who don't have a larger fan base. When they're signing off or they're done with their stream, it's common to, you know, host somebody else. You know, give your you've, – you've already got a nice community and you've got a lot of people um, vibing to what you're playing. You might, you might – don't waste it. Let, you know, you can host somebody else so that your channel – if people, whenever they click on your channel, it directly goes to that – you know, you're watching the host's gameplay. And so um, I was watching this Overwatch streamer and he hosts and he, uh, he was about to get off. And um, his chat just asked him to host somebody, and so he just goes to a, you know he just goes to the, the game page, finds a, a random game, a game that I think is only two weeks old, um, scrolls all the way down down the list where anyone familiar with Twitch knows that you know the um, the less amount of viewers you have, the lower down you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, for just find some random guy. I think he was. Uh, I think Azariah. He had a funny um, a, a funny title, so that uh, that gave it. You know that was his plug if you will yeah but he he hosted him so um this guy who was used to having right around 10 to 15 maybe max 20 people um viewing him per stream all of a sudden gets bombarded with about six uh six and a half thousand people 
um, yeah, all of a sudden on his stream and his reaction, as you can imagine, is absolutely priceless. Um, <laughs> very, very grateful. He just he can't keep up. It's it's honestly it's really hard. It's really just wholesome. Um, and, and you know, hey, who knows? Maybe that host will bring this man financial stability. And he was talking about how he obviously has a job outside of this. So hey, maybe maybe his newfound uh, following will prove to be a financial success as well. So I, he's my uh, winner of the week. <laughs> nice. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a good winner. Uh, for my winner of the week, I think I want to go, and I think the NBA is the winner of the week. The All-Star game uh, was phenomenal. I don't know if you caught any of it. Um, thrilling end. The teams actually played defense, at least in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was still extremely high scoring, but – um, no one was scoring in the 190s. Um, <laughs> people were actually playing defense. Um, LeBron hit an incredible step back three. Um, really fun to watch. Really fun game to watch. I put on Twitter last night that we should just crown the uh, Warriors, the champions of this 2018 season, and let's move on and let's see a 13-game series between these two all-star teams. <laughs> and I think that would be uh, way more exciting to watch. Um but, yeah, it was a really fun game. I think the NBA definitely uh, took a huge step in the right direction as far as uh, making this game more competitive. It's one thing if the fans vote you in and it's just kind of a, a gimmick of a game. It's another thing if, like, your peers are your peers are picking you and you're wondering, oh, I should have been picked here, I should have been picked there. Of course, they don't know because it wasn't televised, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That would be incredible TV. Um, but, yeah. Very, very fun to watch. Um, it's fun to see it be actually competitive. And it's just miles and miles ahead of the Pro Bowl right now, which is just miserable to watch. I think I, I'm, I've always been kind of neutral as far as the baseball all-star game. I liked when they had um, home field advantage of the World Series on it. I thought that added a little bit extra element to the game. Um, but I'll give hockey a close second with uh, the new three-on-three format which it's so typical hockey is five on five. Um, you take two players off the ice from each team. There's a lot of open ice and you can really see the skill of these guys. And it's pretty incredible to watch. But um, just for this week, I would give the winner of the week to the NBA, no doubt. Nice. Well, that sounds very um, well thought out because I know I actually don't tune into too many NBA All-Star games, but I do know that um, a main criticism was it's not very watchable because it's just, you know, people checking up uncontested shots. And so it's good to hear that they um, have moved in the right direction there. Yeah, and I mean, there there is still a little bit of that where um, you're kind of clearing ways for guys to throw down awesome dunks. And I mean, all that is fine, but in the end, when it's competitive and the game is actually in the balance, it's fun to see those guys be competitive. And because, I mean, you're an NBA player. No one wants to get embarrassed. I think they're all competitive guys and all trying to win. And uh, so that makes it way more entertaining for the viewing public, for sure. Definitely. And who would you say, uh, who would you give your loser of the week to? My loser goes to this Neil Grease Tyson guy uh, on Twitter. I'll pull up the exact tweet for you right now. <laughs> this that. guy, his, uh, his Twitter bio solely consists of astrophysicist, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Let me pull up the... Yeah, astrophysicist is his uh, entire Twitter bio. And this guy tweets this out. Evidence collected over many years, obtained from many locations, indicates that the power of prayer is insufficient to stopping 
bullets from killing school children. This is some kind of stupid. Let me tell you. <laughs> this makes absolutely no sense. No one is suggesting that the power of prayer is is yeah, is sufficient for stopping the, these killings. No one is suggesting that when they're when they when people say thoughts and prayers, I think there are two sides to this. When people talk about thoughts and prayers, one it's sending their condolences to the families affected, which is a good thing. I think that's a that's a good thing. That's a noble thing. I think that's something definitely worth doing. The other side of it is: Are you familiar with uh, Anthony Jeselnik? Uh, I am. Yes. Yeah, Anthony Jeselnik. Um, it's actually the name of one of his specials. It's called Thoughts and Prayers. Um, he kind of talks about the other side of this, where it's people saying, "Hey, don't forget about me. I'm sad too." And it's basically all this attention is going on somewhere else. You need to find a way to relate to that and bring the attention back to yourself. So I think you definitely have two sides of this um, as far as people that say that, but this guy tweeting this out, um, I'm not really sure what he's getting at. Like what's, it does come off a bit condescending. Yeah. And I'm not sure. um, He doesn't really provide a solution. He's just kind of bashing on the power of prayer. I guess it's kind of confusing. I would love the audience's take on this tweet in particular. Um, but yeah, I think we kind of wanted to segue into this whole, um, I mean, just horrific events that happened in Florida this past weekend. And I think you had a good um, preface, 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 preface. I thought you had to it. And I think uh, you should definitely go into that for our, um, I guess, not viewing audience, our listening audience. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, we got one of the things that I just thought. Um, as we, as we bring up different topics, um, throughout these different episodes, um, it's our, it's, you know, one of our, and any of those listening at home might've, um, kind of pieced together. We try to start off a little bit lighthearted sports, um, entertainment, popular culture, but the goal of this, the overall goal of this podcast is to create a place where, uh, we're shedding light and, um, making known maybe gray areas or uh, places or uh, social, normative social um, systems that have we've shunned away or you know don't want to talk about anymore. And by no means are we saying we're the end all be all and answer, you know listen to us. We give you all the answers. If everybody listens to us, then you know all of these problems will be solved. That's definitely not the platform we're coming from. We just want to, uh, you know, shed light on this and create a place where we can all we can all discuss, and um, at the very least, acknowledge that these things are happening and going on, and um, you know, try and work towards a more progressive solution. Because just as, uh, you know, the first step in beating an an addiction is you have to re- you know you have to recognize the addiction. You have to realize there's a problem. And um, I think especially in our our culture and our generation, um, it's pretty easy for us to, uh, you know, just kind of disregard that. And as I, I think I made the um, metaphor before, kind of stick our heads in the sand. And as long as it's not affecting me physically and personally, I, you know, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And I think that's the mentality that's kind of plagued our, our, our nation as a whole for the last uh, century or so. Because um, we've kind of spiraled into this uh, chaotic world. I, I think anybody living in today's day and age with any common sense would just can agree on the on um, describing it as chaotic with these um, crazy incidents happening almost monthly. I mean, you can look up the stats, but 
these uh, school shootings since Columbine have exponentially grown. I'm not talking about um, one every year or in that now, you know, one or two every year or three every year. We're talking about fatal shootings happening multiple times across the nation per day. And whether or not you hear about them doesn't mean they're not they're not going on. Um, we only seem to catch the huge headlines, um, like the unfortunate incidents that happened at the school in Florida, the unfortunate incidents that happened at the Pulse nightclub in Florida, um, the Las Vegas shooting, which only uh, happened three months ago, and all of a sudden, uh, less than three months ago, and all of a sudden we seem to forgot about when... Um, and not when I'm sorry, but when and when we forget about these and we have such a constant exposure to them, I feel like we're we we put our heads in the sand and you know oh it didn't happen to my school it didn't happen to my theater it didn't happen to my yeah. nightclub I didn't yeah. know anybody there and you know the Vegas one did hit a little bit closer to us it's just on our side of the coast and we you know probably some viewers out there probably knew somebody that was there you know has first mm-hmm. first hand experience of that. And um, and so it's crazy how we've adopted this mentality of does not mean not my problem, even into mass shootings, like slaughtering of tens or even hundreds of people. And um, I think we've gotten to the point where we need to bring we need to bring it into focus. We, we can't just uh, keep uh, being in a state of amnesia, which uh, Graham Hancock so eloquently puts. Um, it seems like we tactfully can just uh, forget things you know like at will we, we remember all those yeah. things we need to remember but all the bad stuff we just feel um that it's okay to forget and i think that's absolutely a, a really dangerous mindset yeah ab- absolutely and yeah uh, that's important to keep in mind that neither of us are claiming that we have all the answers or that we're the guru to all of the world's problems um, and we can just solve all these things that's not what we're saying but I think um, another thing that's going on that is probably even more detrimental is if you turn on Fox or you turn on CNN, you basically just have these two sides yelling at each other over – I mean, gun control is the obvious one that comes up. And so something horrific happens, and then the left yells out, we need to take all the guns away, basically, gun reform, gun reform, gun reform. And then the right yells, no, Second Amendment, constitutional, that sort of stuff. Um and where all all we're saying is I think it's important to engage in civil discourse to use kind of a fancy term, but basically just to talk about these issues that might be kind of uh, taboo or uh, we'll go into different stuff in later podcasts and even in the ones that we've talked about uh, previously. Um, we're just looking to, to talk about this stuff, basically, and bring bring light to it, as you mentioned. But <clears throat> something interesting about these um, shootings that I noticed is, is going on particularly is – and this, this is more so coming uh, from the left, I would say, is <clears throat> you hear all this gun reform now, gun reform now, gun reform now. I think that was trending on Twitter for a bit, um, all these people talking about that. But no one is really providing any solutions. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. They're they're just they're screaming, but they're just screaming to scream. You know, they're not answering any questions, they're not um providing new solutions. Um and so yeah, I don't think that's that's helpful either to to just scream and be angry, which um I mean is certainly understandable, but if if you're involved, I suppose, but if you're not involved and you're just screaming just to be heard, 
you know, stop that. <laughs> What's yeah. the point? Either, yeah. either be part, be a part of the solution. Don't be part of the problem, you know? And so something, something that I saw on Twitter that I thought was actually really good. And it seems to make sense is right now we have um, all, for instance, let's say at a sporting event or at the mall or at uh, basically any large place where people are going to gather, you do have armed security all around them. Um, whereas we don't have that at, at schools, which seems like it would make sense to protect the people that basic that have no defense for themselves. You know, it seems like we should have some sort of security or enhanced security uh, presence there. I know every school has, you know, the janitor slash security guard, you know, the guy that's, <laughs> you know, kind of the multi-purpose guy. Definitely. Um, the handyman. I definitely, I definitely think we should see a, um, an increased in, an increase in security presence uh, in schools. That just feels like it, it makes sense. Um, it's a shame to kind of fight fire with fire, but looking at it from one angle is more so on the left. They, they say that they want to take away guns or they want to remove guns uh, from society. Well, that's just something that you're not capable of doing. There's too many guns out there. And again, if you, if you try to have a giant gun recall, let's say, you're obviously not going to be able to get all of them, but you're just going to be taking away guns from the people that abide by the law you know there's they're criminals for a reason they they don't follow the law they're going to keep their guns that's just makes sense and so really the only way to kind of combat that is is fire with fire just so if we can't take all the guns away from anyone let's increase the guns in the hands of good people and that'll keep the um the the bad guys for lack of a better term just at bay um what what are your thoughts on that yeah, it feels like we're we're we need to do something different. Yeah, at least. So I mean, something has to change. Yeah, exactly. And a few a few things that you said um, sparked up different um, points in my mind. The first mm-hmm. one, um, just one more reiterate uh, reiteration of what this is about, and you know, the podcast in general is that um, I mean, I actually I got the privilege of being in a graduate level course, um, even though I'm finishing up my undergrad right now. And my professor, the very first day of class, um, told everyone that this isn't going to be like, um, well, because there was a lot of undergrads in that class that she led in. And she told everyone that this won't be the similar college setting that you've been accustomed to of a teacher standing up here with a bunch of answers and telling you those answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you know, she, and she explains that we're at the level now that w- our class discussions will drive, <clears throat> will drive the focus of, you know, of the entire class period. And so, and and I think that pre- presents how um, maybe not all learning should be, but I think it's a very, very um, influential aspect of learning is peer-to-peer uh, like discourse and that, just talking to each other. Instead, the, go ahead. Uh, is that the uh, Socratic method? I think. Um, I believe so. Is that what it, I? I think I feel like Socrates was big on that. Yeah, you would have. And I mean, if it, someone if would if have it to fact check it. for him. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm sure it's one of the main three yeah. <laughs> Greeks. Yeah. But yeah, and that's um, and that's what we're again we're trying to do here again. We don't have any. Well, we we do have some ideas and answers, but we don't have them all. And we're just looking to um, we're trying to create an environment where we can generate those answers. And we know we can't get those answers from two from two white male perspectives. So we want more perspectives out there. We want people to 
bring their own ideas and their own ideologies um, into these uh, topics at hand. So that's our final, that's my final disclaimer um, for this <laughs> and just kind of a call, a call to action to everyone to try and um, if you do, um, you know, by chance get to listen to this podcast, um, try, you know, try to engage in some type of critical, critical discussion as well, because that's when progression happens, not just from listening and, oh, you know, that was good. I agree with that guy. Let me try and make something out of it, too. Let me do something about it. And um, I think that's what we're even if you don't agree with what we say, well, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to stimulate that, uh, that yeah. critical discussion. And so one point, um, so moving into this, the more gun control uh, reform and whatnot, um, I saw, you know, I kind of saw that when you're saying you're just browsing Twitter and seeing how there's different good ideas and different bad, you know, there's yeah. a bunch of options. But I think all of the options presented, if not all, most, um, are really short minded or short term in, in theory because they're all about fixing this problem right now and mm-hmm. you know I need an overnight change to spark a revolution where I'm going to live in a place that no one dies from tragic events and unfortunately I think that's uh, it's not where we're going to find the best answers because like like you just said um, the only way you can think of 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 fighting this is fire with fire and um i would say that would that's just an aspect of you know thinking um there's only i only have a limited time to fight this because it's going to happen again we all know it's going to happen again it could be yeah it'll be just a matter of time exactly it could be next week it could be tomorrow it could be next month it's going to happen again and the sad part is we're probably going to forget about well we will forget about it again very soon Mm -hmm. um so i think we have to start and start if start thinking about long-term solutions since all of these short-term solutions haven't worked you know it kind of goes back to that idea about um when we were talking about drug reform we've um and port and um portugal stance we've tried everything at this point (laughs) Uh (laughs) why why let's try something that's just unthinkable you know and so I, i and i think that's where um my ideas obviously are my answers and um at least trying to combat this issue would be um less of a focus on guns obviously it's guns that are doing the killing um mm-hmm. you know or, or that that are making or facilitating it making the killings the mm-hmm. mass killings i should say um because if one willed you could kill some, at least one other person you know if you had a gun or not whether or not you could wreak absolute destruction on a crowd of 20,000 in a Las Vegas hotel is a different story. But what, you know, we will still have that act of violence, whether it's on 50 people or one people. Yeah. So let's stop thinking of, you know, that that's a great part of it to limit the damage. But again, that's, it sounds like, you know, limiting the damage. How awful does that sound? It's like, try again, trying to fight fire and fire. Yeah. So let's put guns on the back burner just for a little bit. I know it sounds crazy, but again, if, uh, if we've tried everything else, it's time for something a little bit more crazy. So let's put the guns on the back burner and take a more rigorous and methodical and thought out approach um, in terms of our national mental health, because there's Mm -hmm. no sane person walking out and doing these crazy things, right? It's not your, it's not the guy who, or woman who has, a firm grasp on reality knows their place setting in the world knows what they're doing knows their morals 
and you know what we what we would normative you know the normative put together person or well kept person whether mm-hmm. or not they actually are or not is a different story but at least you know all all of their previous history is normative mm-hmm. um i think the people that are doing these killings and travesties um are people who aren't totally mentally stable and I mean, yeah. you'd have to be <laughs> exactly right and so it's like trying it's like um find the common denominator out of all these shootings is, you know mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people their common denominator is guns and so that's the thing they get they cling to and yell at but um on a deeper level th- all of these people have mental health issues i think that's unarguable yeah. and so why why haven't we taken um you know more rigorous approaches in terms of our mental health i mean we lock we would just lock people up on um, drug offend- offenses instead of rehabilitation is kind of the same thing in terms of just mental health in schools, especially because teachers, they're, you know, especially teachers who have been in the business a while, they can tell when some when a kid isn't totally right. You know, I, I, I 100% believe te- most teachers have that intuition. And um, if we were able to right then at a young age identify that, and you know try our best to treat it however that may be i'm not saying i'm a psychologist or an expert in mental health but i do but i do see that these similarities and so maybe uh, those who are those professionals and those who do know you know are doctorates in that field they're the ones that um, might be coming up with the the exacts you know the the exact mental health you know um rehab but on, a, on just on a grander scale and just looking at things from a bird's eye view, that's what needs to happen. We need more um, focus and funding, especially towards mental health. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I like where you're coming from. I think right now we're asking a lot of the wrong questions. I think right now we're asking questions like, how did he do this? Well, obviously he did it with a gun. We're not looking at why. I think the motive or what happened here is way the much larger issue at hand because obviously you can take these things case by case and look at the how, um, but that's not going to help us in the long term. In the long term, we need to know why this is happening, and it kind of comes back to that mental health issue where do you think this is something that that kid was born with? Um, do you think he was uh, – I mean, you'd have to be viciously bullied in school in order to turn like that. But do you think that's something that he was born with? Or do you think that's something that um, he just adapted over time and uh, his mental health just went down the drain? Um, I might be a bit biased for just from this question because I um, largely prescribed to the notion of um, Marxism, not in the case necessarily in like economic terms but definitely in like um in just socio terms because um you know general marxist theory states that um we don't or our we our consciousness doesn't create our setting our settings is what creates our consciousness and so in my opinion 100 percent um he was not you know any of these people um i don't i had such i hate to make such a um an overarching claim. So I'll say most, oh, most yeah. of these people, in my opinion, most of these people um, are not born, you know, born like this. It's something that's learned and um, kind of put on them through their different uh, socioeconomic um, experiences. And 
Uh, but that's just, I mean, that's completely my point of view coming from yeah. kind of a Marxist background because um, I just think it's really compelling. Um, his, you know, mar- uh, Marxism in general is pretty is pretty compelling, especially and relatable, especially in our day and age, um, considering that this was, you know, over a century or two or, yeah, over a century ago um, thought of. But so, yeah, in my opinion, I would say that um, these that these were probably behaviors, tendencies, um, or other things that contributed to their poor mental state and that kind of spiral, which spirals out of control. And um, again, I'm not a mental health expert, so yeah. maybe uh, maybe people are born with different um, de- deformalities and different things in their brain, you know, that physical things that um, that you know make um, make them act different than uh, than what we would term normal yeah and so um so again yeah i don't don't know but in my opinion i feel like at least not all not all but most or even though i'd say just more than half of the cases if i were just to guesstimate um were things that were picked up on through experience through childhood and you know adolescent experience even growing up you know adult experience and uh which brings me back to the mental health aspect which mean which in my opinion would say that if these tendencies and behaviors were picked up on by teachers or parents or others that are overseeing these kids and adolescents, then we might have been able to stop some of these from happening happening by treating them accordingly. You know, so mm-hmm. if you if you can see these happen, you know, these behaviors start to develop, whether or not you believe they're born that way or not, you know, we don't even have to get in the, into that discussion. But once you see these start to develop, um, that that's when you would try and step in and intervene and try and um, you know, just try and assure that their mental health is 100% um, okay. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting when, yeah, a lot of people obviously bringing up the whole gun reform thing. Let's say you do have a person that um, is mentally unstable or um, has made the decision that they're going to go out and they're going to hurt a large group of people. You can totally do that without a gun. I mean, for I mean, you have a car. <laughs> You can do tons and tons of damage just driving down the street um, of Las Vegas Boulevard and taking out as many people as you possibly could. There's, I mean, I don't want to give people ideas, but I mean, there's endless things of people of things you could do to cause harm without a gun. You know, um, lots and lots of things that you could do. Definitely. It, it yeah, it's interesting because it comes back to the whole thing where it's like the whole nature or nurture thing like was this guy was this guy born this way or was this guy um totally fine and then just his nurture something went wrong whether i don't know if it's family issues or if he was bullied or whatever the case is and he switched um and it's because your sample size is one you know you don't have um you don't have a hundred different kids living the exact same lives and you can see all the various outcomes where if 90% of the outcomes end up, ended up like this, you can say, Oh, it's one or the other. Or if it's, if it's split 50, 50, it's X outcome. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's really hard to, to make a decision on whether he was just born like that. Or, um, if he actually something happened in his life where it, it kind of flipped a switch and it maybe, um, I'm not sure, but I, I don't think you can really ever know until you actually, I don't know even know if it's possible, but it, once you open his brain up and take a look around and maybe the neurosurgeons can figure that answer out based on, I don't know, whatever science they have over there, you know? Yeah. And again, I, I don't um, claim to be an expert, but I wouldn't be surprised if um, 
experiences even could uh, manifest themselves into physical deformity. So if we're talking about mm -hmm. it being born that way, or if you learn that experience, and if we would be able to tell from actually physically seeing their, you know, the, the makeup of their brain, you know, I, again, I, I don't know, but I would be interesting to just look into if that's the case, if, um, you know, the, the, all of the different things placed on a, on, on a child or early adolescent, if that can actually physically manifest in, you know, in, in another deformality, just so the, the person, if you did pre prescribe to the train of thought that they were born out that way, would have the same thing in their head as the person, if you thought they were, um, if you prescribed that train of thought, that they uh, learned it. So that would be interesting to see, too. Yeah, that would be really interesting to see. And it, it I mean, you can't, you can't look at it from the scientific method standpoint because you don't have enough sample size. I mean, you just have these few um, isolated incidents where um, it's really tough to tell what exactly it is and how to stop it long-term and what's the best uh, route to take in stopping it short-term um, really puts you in a tough spot as not only just legislation makers, but just as a society as a whole, how can we avoid this in a future? And I think one, one small step um, that we can take is I think just the general the general population's kindness is down dramatically. I, I don't know if you would agree with that, but if you just look on Twitter how much um, hate and negativity there is, and then just walking around um, at your local mall, it's just not a whole lot of people smiling, a lot of people stone-faced, a lot of people um, just not talking to each other. Um, again, this is, this is totally me just spitballing, but I just feel like the general kindness of the American population at least is, is just down. I, again, totally just my, my perspective on it, but that's just kind of where I'm coming from and what I'm thinking. And I think if somehow we were to, um, have a stronger sense of community, maybe, um, more people included, um, maybe this could, uh, help avoid future incidents, I suppose. I mean, just think about <clears throat> how many people in America these days don't know their neighbors, you know, whereas back just, 30 years ago, I feel like everyone knew their neighbors and just from what I've heard, <laughs> obviously it wasn't around 30 years ago, but from what I've heard, oh, yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure what that may or may not be due to. Um, I mean, social media has come up, but again, that, I don't think that's the problem because kids now are more, more social than ever. Whereas 30 years ago you went home and you wouldn't see your friends again until morning. Now you can basically con communicate with them 24 seven. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what you would do as legislation or as society. Um, I just I, I would like to see an up in the kindness level of the American public. I think so that's that I, could see that. I think that's something that anyone can get behind no matter what. Can <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's always a good thing to have general kindness. Yeah, but I would say the um, at least the most um, a thing that could have the most immediate impact um, that doesn't involve even legislation really is mm -hmm. just um, like you said the general population I don't know what more you can do but just not um, just keeping these incidents I don't know more mainstream I guess is what I'm looking for but just not you know, having these incidents happen and then dish them aside, you know, a week later for the newest 
mm-hmm. season of Game of Thrones or, you know, the new game yep. that comes out because I think that's just a total disservice to anyone involved. And, I mean, like I said, the Las Vegas shooting was the largest mass shooting in mo- modern American history, killing, um, I think, 59 people. Mm-hmm. And more than, I mean, I would say, just from my anecdotal evidence, not more than two weeks later, there wasn't a single article headline on any major news station talking about the Las Vegas shooting. And, I mean, that's crazy. And a lot of people might say, well, a lot can happen in two weeks. But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. two weeks is so, so little um, compared to an event that's so, so major. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, again, a pretty dangerous position to be in because the more you forget or the more the more amnesia you suffer from, um, the more that you're going to let those in power, you know, do what they want. I mean... I always have to plug in my conspiracy, uh, my conspiracy plug of the pod. But um, if you know, if if these shootings can happen, whether or not you believe who facilitated them, and happen at such a grand scale and at such an increased rate, and still provide, I mean, very minimal outreach from the public, then uh, you know when when at what point, what does it take as a nation to like, okay, we're going to collectively do something about this. We're going to put our, our other differences aside for a second <laughs> and, and we're going to figure this out because this is becoming a problem. And um, I think people would, if they said that 15 years ago, they would have been correct. You know, they're 15 years late right now. You know, if you're starting to think that right now, because this isn't becoming a problem. This has spiraled into an absolute cyclical destructive process that uh, doesn't benefit anyone in the long run, really. And I just, I think that's the first thing that we can do um, as a nation is just bring more awareness and recognition to these events that do happen, um, celebrate and martyr the, the people that were unfortunately taken in these circumstances Stop putting so much focus on the shooter, the perpetrator, whatever. And I know we have done, we've taken major steps as a society, as a society to kind of stop that glorification of the shooter mm-hmm. and, you know, fo- focus less on that. But I think progress can still be made definitely in that area. And um, I don't know, just as a whole, every day question it. You know, I mean, again, referring back to the Las Vegas shooting, the biggest mass shooting in American history. And today, three almost three months later, we still don't have an answer of who the guy was, what he was doing there, how he got so much guns and ammunition in his room, no videotapes, no... So, you know, I mean, how how have all of these things not been disclosed to the public, and how have we not been outraged by that? Like, these people are set up by us to serve us for our purpose. You know, it's not... It's not a monarch and it's not a tyrannical king that we have to adhere to lest they kill us if we don't like that. It's, it's the it's, the America was founded on the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. notion. so and I think that's something that we have just gotten so far away from is that idea that these people serve us. The government is there for our for us. And so 
when we're not satisfied with the answers given, we need to dig deep. We need to dig deeper. We don't need to just brush it off. Okay, well, it won't happen again, or I'm sure they're taking care of it, or you know, they've got it. They've got it under control. And it's you know, what? How long does it take, or how many people have to die in order for us as a collective nation to be like, okay, let's take a serious look on what's going on here because. Not only do these events keep happening at, e- at an even grander rate, the Pulse, um, the Pulse nightclub shooting at its time was the largest um, American shooting in modern history, and then of course a couple months later we're overtaken by an even bigger one. So these are gra- these are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, happening more frequently, and we on um, on the other side are inversely, um, you know, uh, invested in it feel like it seems like the more happens and the bigger it gets the less we care yeah and um it honestly should be obviously it should be the um, the opposite of that so i think definitely the first thing we can do is just stop forgetting so easily that these things are going on Mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's good that you touched on that the attention span of the american public right now is so incredibly short it's like one day you have this mass shooting and then the next day Wendy's comes out with a new Baconator and you've completely forgot about the mass shooting. It's like, oh, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Um, and I think that's in large part due to the, I mean, I guess the media um, always searching for just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And we're not, we're not sticking with an issue and looking at it and figuring out what happened, why it happened, um, and how to prevent the next one. And I think that's the stage where we're at, where we need to think about, the next one is going to happen. It's just a matter of when, where, and I mean, I, I have no idea what we can do to prevent it. It's, we need a complete societal shift because it's not strictly a gun thing. It's a, it's a mental thing. It's a completely a, a societal issue where uh, we don't know why these are happening. And my, my gut instinct tells me it's, it's messed up people. Plus, it's the the notoriety that they get from it. I think if um, they didn't get as much attention or if they knew that they weren't going to get as much attention as they are right now, I think a few of these would happen. I think some of these wouldn't happen as often, you know. Um, I think it's a big deal to keep the uh, shooter's name not released out to the public so he doesn't get any, any credit for it um, because – I mean, I think I think they're looking for some credit, you know, they're, hey, if I can do this, get all my rage and anger out, plus become a superstar for the next week, then cool, good for me. You know, I'll do it. I'll take that deal. And that's that's a terrible place to be. And I think we need to shut that down. So where they're not getting nearly as much credit as they they are right now and they don't um, get their name released. And so they're not celebrities for a little while. Um but yeah, if, if, if your legislation, you think you can do anything from uh, the legislation uh, point of view on these things? Um, again, I would, uh, if I was in legislation, again, I would put the whole gun issue on the back burner and try and see however, what was, or what, what was in my power to um, at least, the, I mean, the most, the easiest thing that we can start doing right now tomorrow is just mass funding towards uh, mental health. And so I think as a legislator, that's what I would be trying to push for is um, more funding, more uh, communities, establishments, things set up to help people who or to set up systems where we could not only recognize um, 
you know, non-normative, I guess is the best word, behaviors and um, tendencies in kids and adolescents, because obviously it's not kids and adolescents um, usually taking out these um, attacks. It's people that are you know, usually above the age of 17 or 18 or older. And, and, you know, at that point, most of your cognitive, you know, um, identity of self is is going to is going to be made by then. So if we can try and set up systems and ways that we can detect that earlier, which can only happen with more money, obviously, um, then I think we would be on the right track. And then if, again, we still don't see uh, but again, it's hard because you would want to see immediate results, but. That's not really a, a thing that's going to provide that. So it would be hard. You would have to kind of go in the future and try and get a larger uh, sample size to see if that was going to work. But I would bet my money that it, it would work better than what we've done so far. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we haven't really done much so far, which is kind of surprising. Um, and uh, you see a lot of people that are um, looking for making it more difficult to own a gun or making it. Uh, I give them less bullets or shorter magazines or anything like that. And again, that's, <laughs> that's not the issue. That's not yeah. the issue at all. <laughs> I think that would go back to your, to your phrase saying you're asking the wrong questions. You're, they're trying to answer the wrong questions in reality. They should be just, they should be answering the bigger questions. Totally. Totally. So I know that you had another topic for us. Um, you want to kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah, actually, what you were um, getting into actually hinted at it a little bit about how the media is constantly searching for something to give us or show us or represent to us. And um, that's kind of what I wanted to get into in this next section. And again, um, just trying to bring light on this issue. And honestly, a lot of these ideas and segments that come have just come from my, you know, my college classroom settings and the theorists and the people that I'm reading right now, because I'm, I read, um, I'm reading these works and I just feel like they are really applicable and important. And so I just feel compelled to share them. And one of those, um, is Mrs. Uh, Ms. Bell Hooks, who is a Jamaican born, um, cultural theorist and, uh, very highly touted, used to um, be a professor at, I believe, Duke, I want to say, um, all throughout the Ivy League schools. She's now teaches at an inner city um, community college in Harlem. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah, and just, um, so she obviously has uh, a lot of, a lot of experience and a lot of, and, and a lot to say, but in her work, Outlaw Culture, she just talks about um, kind of the misrepresentation of the media and how the things that were shown through media, and I'm using media as a very broad term, I'm talking TV, movies, social media, news networks, um, anything that you can consume media from would fall under this. Um, and how we kind of don't think about how those misrepresentations are consciously made. So, um, one of her examples is this movie, um, Thief, a 1990 movie, which was adapted from a book um, of the same name. And in the book, the author does not disclose the race of the thief, um, you know, which the book centers around. And in the movie, when it was made into a movie, the director took it upon himself to make the thief a black kid. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, and it's like it's a it, that's a very small example, but um, that's a conscious choice that that director made to per to to continue a stereotype right um and and so bell hooks even reached out to this director and asked him what made you um what made you 
you know, take that, take that creative, um, I, you know, expression. And he said, oh, well, it, you know, it, it, it was nothing for me. It was just, you know, it, it's movie magic. It's, it's, you know, if you, if you make them black, then it's what the people will resonate most with or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we even have people who are, the people who are making these decisions don't even want to admit it themselves that they're making these decisions. So, um, it's obviously much harder for us, the people that are being influenced by the media, to realize it, you know, because um, even those who are, who are perpetuating those stereotypes, they don't even want to admit it because they know, you know, it's, it's unethical. And so this kind of brings me, in, brings me into uh, my topic I want to talk about, which was just kind of the, the white supremacist takeover of hip-hop. And um, Bell Hooks obviously gets into this uh, and, and just kind of the she terms this all-inclusive term the white supremacist patriarch or capitalist patriarchy you know kind of this all-inclusive uh term that just gets all these ideas and she's even criticized for it but i think it's a decent term that can be used but i just kind of want to focus on how um how black culture and hip-hop and specifically is represented to us and um how it's so different than what it was created to be. And I know I didn't really give you much, uh, much, um, for, you know, telling, told you much about this and didn't give you much preparation. So, uh, which was kind of on purpose. I just wanted to see, you know, just as, as it goes for most of our subjects. <laughs> yeah, right. Definitely. Um, and so, and I thought we had a unique um, experience because we came from a private dominant white Christian school where we could probably count the number of African-Americans on one or two hands. I mean, yeah, more redheads than black kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, and so I thought we could we had a unique um, take on this as well. But um, just how so hip hop in general was created as, you know, storytelling um, a way for specifically African-Americans, an outlet for them to express their situation, you know, their shitty situation in society at that time, you know, through um, police brutality, the demonizing of just black culture in general. And so they turned to, to rap or hip hop. And um, how, so that, if that's its conception, we've kind of, we've strayed pretty far away from that and to where now it's, I just feel like it's, um, the the hip hop genre in general is just a way for white people to extract as much money from other white people as possible. I mean, we all know the well, we might not all know, but the largest demographic of hip hop is white um, teenage uh, boys. And so, I mean, if if we're not even if the demographic isn't isn't even black, you know, storytelling about experience anymore. That goes to show mm-hmm. j- just so just how far we've come, and um, I thought how I thought one good example um, of this misrepresentation uh, would be our friend group actually Brett, who uh, even though going to the, the touted uh, college prep uh, school, um, still use uh, a lot of abonic e- e- dialect. You know, in our in our group chat per se, we. We like to talk um, like African Americans or use African American jargon because it's cool or it's trendy, and that's how it's been represented to mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. You know, black people are they they seem cool or it seems funny or whatever mm-hmm. when they yeah. say it. So why shouldn't we say it? we like you know we like <laughs> it when they say it, so let's say it too. 
And it's funny because um, I was just learning in class that the Ebonic dialect was formed because black people were um, perpetually situated in a place where they weren't able to attain education. And so they formed this kind of, you know, um, mis, uh, you know, this mishappened dialect of English. <laughs> and now us, you know, college prep white male, you know, um, young adults are using that in the kind of really ironic way. And so I just thought that was one really good example of how, yeah. even though, you know, we weren't exposed to many authentic, to, to much, honestly, authentic African-American culture, especially through our school. And so we really only had the representations that the media handed down to us to form our, our, our own ideas. And I think that um, just that, just knowing that notion right there, that we're, we form so many of our ideas, this um, demon, you know, this uh, kind of white takeover over of hip hop being one's very small example. Um, we form so many ideas without really considering um, all sides of the coin or even um, why these representations are, are continually being perpetuated. You know, who benefits here? White people, who does not benefit here? Black people, you know, they're continually, they're, they're, their craft, as you could say, is is literally being taken away from them. Where in you know in today's day and age of rap, is you know a ton of black artists turn to the mumble rap, mumble jumbo that you hear on the radio that is really only you know has a trendy beat mm-hmm. or or hook, and you can barely even you know hear what the guy's saying. Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, Macklemore who beats out um, Good Kid, Mad City, and Nothing Was the Same, along with. Um, uh, uh, Yeezus and the Magna Carta by Jay Z and Kanye in 2013 for the best rap album of the year, and so <laughs> yeah, I mean, how you know, it's like how do you take that? We're, we're awarding these these white people in the industry because oh, okay, now now it's no longer only a black thing. You now even white people can partake too. Where it's like no, this was the only thing that African American culture, black culture had that was you know that was specifically black. And even that's being taken away from them and being, you know, white, uh, you know, having the white um, takeover on it. And so this was just another thing, uh, a topic that I wanted to maybe, you know, share just some, some discussion or see what you had to say. Mm-hmm. Even any listeners out there, because I was reading the Bill Hooks and we were talking in class and I was just thinking, wow, like this is just mind blowing stuff. Yeah, um, super interesting for sure. Uh yeah, like as, as you said, hip hop is a lot of storytelling, and I think there are some some absolutely phenomenal uh, stories being told in hip hop right now. And at least for me personally, um, the vast majority of the time, just for those of you that don't know, um, I'm definitely a hip hop guy, way more than country music or anything else. I'm almost exclusively rap and hip hop and um, that kind of genre, I guess you could call it. Um, I, I do enjoy when you can hear when you can hear the words and you can hear the lyrics and uh, especially when someone says something clever or something funny or they are telling a fantastic story like Kendrick Lamar lyrically is absolutely phenomenal um, and fun to listen to and I think that's one of the reasons um, why Eminem had such uh, great success in this space is because he tells absolutely phenomenal stories in an incredibly credi- and in an incredibly creative way. Uh, where it's it's fun to listen to, and then plus they both do have the amazing beats behind it, but um, it makes it really fun to listen to, and um, yeah, it's enjoyable. <laughs> Definitely, and I think that speaks to what hip hop originally was. You know, in its, in its conception, you um, you resonate with the 
of what it was meant to be, you know, how hip hop was meant to be articulated and meant to be conveyed. You like the aspect of it, which is obviously very normal. You know, that's why it gained attraction. That's why it's big is because um, we like the aspect of it. And, uh, you know, it's just something to take note of. And as we move forward and kind of see how the media represents white rappers and their ability to tell stories and as opposed to um you know the african-american or black uh rappers and how they choose to tell their stories and not only um if you know how they choose to tell them or what they're or, or if they tell them at all but what those um stories are saying because another point that the media seems to want to really show us and you know almost find the necessary to force it upon us is um this kind of like misogynistic drug culture that perpetuates um uh black rap and you know how it, you know ton, we could each name off tons of songs that are just about big booty hoes <laughs> slapping bitches getting money <laughs> and you know the, taking drugs the whole like and um you know just how you reference right now eminem Macklemore, uh, Logic, other uh, other white rappers who are more, who at least appear to us to be more focused on, uh, you know, the, the storytelling uh, and, and the content of the storytelling not being about that black uh, drug-induced misogynistic culture. And so I think that's another interesting thing is um, why is it that we that we need we feel the media feels the need to show blacks in this way black rappers in this way and white rappers in the other why is it so cut and dry and why can't there be bleed through our gray area on both and um, I lost my train of thought after that go ahead yeah just um, like like you were saying there's I mean you definitely have both sides you have uh, the type of hip hop that you're going to hear in the club um, which I mean that has its, its time and place I think uh <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, most people can agree that as it's time and place. And then you do have the, um, I'd say, more, I guess, intellectual side of hip-hop, I guess you could call it, where you do have this incredible storytelling or this incredible rhyme scheme um, where you're listening to these artists when they write this stuff, and it's just, it's fantastic when it when it all comes together. Um, and again, Kanye has some incredible stuff, obviously. Um, Lil Wayne is just incredibly witty in some of his stuff. Um not in all songs, but again, in some of it. I mean, every every artist is going to have songs that you like and don't like and stuff. But um, it's it's fun to listen to, and I think hip hop, um, just like every other genre of music, it is what you want it to be in your perception. You know, like for example, most of the older generation they hear this loud person fast talking, and that's all they hear. You know, <laughs> and they they just reject it pretty much right off the bat. Whereas if you actually look into it, there's a whole bunch of different stuff. Like for me, with that's kind of like the way I am with country. I hear this person from somewhere down in the dirt talking about some tractor, and I tune out. I don't care. It's boring, <laughs> you know. <laughs> definitely, no, definitely. And I think you know a couple of things actually that you said um, I wanted to get into, and one of them being I'm happy you referenced Little Wayne or Lil Wayne. Sorry. Um, because uh, he was one of the the artists that I wanted to at least touch on because um, I don't know if you know, but his recent, not recent, not so recent, but his fallout with his record label, uh, Cash Money, 
and um, him not will being not willing to release. Um, I don't know if it was his most recent album. I think it was his second to most recent album. Not willing to release it under them because he felt like his creativity was um, was being you know trifled on, and mm-hmm. he what he wanted to make and create, you know, which was it was just all what hip hop is about: artists creating exactly what they want. Um, the his the higher ups, most likely the white higher ups, didn't want him to send that message out. You know, it, well that wasn't the message that they were trying to keep in motion. Uh, and so they said, you know, I probably should, probably should leave that line or that song or whatever out. And it, ha- it actually, you know, caused so much drama that he did, in fact, leave his record label um, and then, uh, you know, released the album under, I believe it, it might have been independently independently released or it went to a different label. But um, and so if if this is happening to Lil Wayne, someone who, you know, we can both agree has fantastic content and. um you know, a lot to say, definitely. And, and not to mention it, is a big name. So imagine what's going on to the people that don't have that big Lil Wayne name, obviously. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, the yeah, the persuasion that's going on on them. And to the point where is this, you know, what is this even hip-hop? If it's just this same notion that we're trying to keep in touch, you know, if these same songs with the same values and the same things... Um, that we're trying to keep forward, you know, is that is that the real? Is that what hip hop was meant to be? And I would argue no. And I would also argue about your country topic that um, the reason that you're so turned off to country is the a, a very similar process is happening in country music, where um, although it's not um, being uh, kind of whiteized, it is being. <laughs> It's a good uh-huh. word. <laughs> uh-huh. It is definitely going or undergoing dramatic, um, you know, pop um, uh, oh. immersion yeah. into its into its uh, genre. So now we have something that even you know, in in country music's conception, I think that's totally different than you know the, the notion of country or what we would describe as country today. And so I think there's definitely definite parallels that can be drawn from there because um, I was listening to a great podcast. I can't remember who it was but they were talking about how rap um music and country music at their roots are the are the two most similar genres in all of music you know they're they're very they're both really grounded in this type of um uh urban um you know storytelling method and how one you know one one might be focused more so on the experiences of um you know a certain demographic and the other is more so, usually more so focused on, you know, love or romantic aspects, which I would say country is mm-hmm. usually focused on. Yeah. They both say, they both go about their genres in pretty similar ways. And so, um, and so, you know, you know, drawing parallels similar to how um, they, their uh, structures are the same. They're going through this, through a similar uh, kind of just overhaul right now of what it's not you know how it was not meant or meant to be and so it's just something to you know again not providing any answers or just you know providing an end-all be-all but just something i thought it would bring up that everyone can try and keep in mind as they uh form their opinions and go throughout their daily life yeah and i think right now it's it's kind of similar to what's actually just happening in america at least for me and my my personal taste in music is where um, with country music, typically it's it's going to be slower than hip hop. I think that's fair to say. Just the majority of songs in hip hop are f- faster tempo than what you're going to see in country. 
and at least for me, I, I like that. I want, I'd like my things to be upbeat. I like things fast, um, at least music wise. And I think that's something that we're not just seeing in music, but we're seeing everywhere. I mean, fast food, everything is instant, instant, instant. And that's just kind of the society that we're in now because it, I mean, it is instant, just Netflix on demand, um, Hulu, all these things. I want it now, 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 now. And yeah, sure enough, Netflix takes Blockbuster out because I don't want to drive to the store and drive back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, I think that's a great point. And if, if you haven't already, and any listener out there already who's interested in this type of presentism that we're living in, I've already plugged it in once, but I'm going to plug it in again. Douglas Rushkoff's Present Shock. Um, his, the, literally, the motto of the book is, when everything happens now. And um, he just goes into really interesting ideas on not only how we arrived at the society where everything is instantaneous and we need instantaneous gratification and what happens when we don't get that. Um, he also uh, tries to provide answers and, you know, things to do or things or how, ways to try and combat that. Whether or not you, you know, totally agree with those calls to action, um, I think is kind of irrelevant because the other things that he has to say are really important and um, just things, again, that everyone should be thinking about because um, what are the effects, you know, of living in this instantaneous culture and this uh, mindset of I need everything right now and if I don't get it right now, I'm going to go do something, you know, do something bad. Yeah. Uh, speaking of providing answers, uh, this episode of Millennials with a Mic is brought to you by Brett Prater Realty, the answer, the one and only way to sell your home fast, quick, for the most amount of money guaranteed with the least amount of hustle. Who you work with matters. <laughs> Perfect. I think anybody out there who uh, is even pondering the thought of buying or selling would be doing them a disservice or doing themselves a disservice by not going directly to you, bud. Absolutely. And again, that's Brett5522 on Instagram, and there are plenty of reviews there. Uh, also, for you guys listening, we do appreciate it. Um, we appreciate each and every single one of you. Um, if you're listening to us on Anchor, that is fantastic. We are also available uh, on the podcast app that um, Apple has. Uh, feel free to go ahead and subscribe to that so we know you're here. That really helps us out with ratings and um, listeners and so forth. And yeah, Talk to us on Instagram or uh, Twitter. We're on the, What's our Twitter handle? On, our Twitter uh, handle is officially um, Mills, M-I-L-L-S, with a mic. Um, oh, no spaces. I don't believe any caps. And, uh, yeah, I would say our best, the best way to contribute in our discussion uh, would be through Twitter because I'm, uh, I will be posting all of the things referenced uh, in, our, in our pods on there so that if you're not aware or if you're not culturally up to speed just yet i would be happy to bring you there um so just for example i should be uh, i should have the not only the um terrible terrible abomination of the fergie national anthem i'm going to try and get the jack black version it's a bit it's an older video so you might have seen it before i'm going to get that up there as well because that's just definitely worth seeing um, i'm going to try and get some stats uh of the death rates from guns in the in our nation and and how and try and give you guys a little bit of a visual uh, graphic of just at the rate we're expanding because you can only get so much from hearing our beautiful voices. Uh, you need to see so a lot of people are visual learners as well. So I think that'll be pretty striking. And last, lastly, I'll also plug um, Bell Hooks Outlaw Culture, who you can find or which you can find uh, for free, I believe, PDF version online 
um, from different uh, e-pirate sites. Wonderful. And if you feel like you really have something that uh, you need to add, you can definitely uh, tweet at us on um, Twitter. Or if you're lucky enough, um, on Anchor, they do accept calls. So if you want to call in, we might play your call on the podcast and we'll, uh, we'll respond to that. And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, Perfect. Uh, Sounds great. Yep. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, another fantastic edition. On the next one, we'll be talking a little Tom Brady uh, versus Joe Montana. We're going to have a special guest on for that one. And uh, we'll dive into some other interesting uh, topics, and we'll go from there. Perfect. And if anybody out there has anything that they are dying for us to cover, please uh, make it known to us by any means necessary, and we will be happy to cover that on the next episode as well. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to us, guys. Take it easy and have a great week. See you all soon. Cheers.